2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Here we go. Tuesday edition of PFT Live. Chris Sims is back
1: What's up, Michael? I never Michael? go anywhere. I rarely go anywhere. Good morning, Christopher. How are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? You doing all right? You did made I, it without me on Monday? Everything was good? Barely. Barely?
2: I, I'd be doing a lot better if the Lions had scored that garbage time touchdown that I thought they'd score to cover the spread. Oh. A lot better. Not, not that... Not that any money was wagered on it. This is just pride. Yeah. This is desire to be accurate. That's all the kick that I need, either positive or negative. I get upset enough when one of my picks is wrong. I can't imagine how I would feel if I actually had money riding on them. But <laughs> the rain made a difference in the second half last night for the Packers and for the Lions. A 17-14 to 14 lead at the half by the Lions became a 35-17 deficit and final score as the Packers found balance and peace and harmony by getting the victory in their home opener thirty-five to seventeen and erasing at least part of the memory of that thirty-eight to three whitewash to start the season. Give me your first big picture reaction to what we saw last night.
1: Well, I, I think the my big like back on track. You know, first off, you just you mentioned like the rain, the weather, like that's why Green Bay's so hard to beat up there. It doesn't matter. Aaron Rodgers is not affected by the rain or the wind or the snow, so they're able to execute the offense at a really high level. But I think what we saw again last night was like, hey, a Packers team who got back to, like, supreme execution, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's what I took away. They just kept the pressure on the Lions all game long with just, you know, for the most part, hey, we're going to be able to run the ball. We're going to call a screen at the right time. Rodgers is going to make some big throws. And their offense kept the pressure on the Lions to where the Lions' offense had to keep answering. And as we know, they they couldn't keep pace. Even though the Packers' defense didn't look that great, you know, Jared Goff and company are just not equipped to keep pace with Aaron Rodgers when he's he's rolling like that.
2: They're now seven and zero after a regular season loss under Matt Lafleur, which is no surprise. They were thirteen and three and thirteen and three. You're not going to have back to back losses, and. Go 13 and three. You'd otherwise have to go 13 and one if you go Correct. 0 and two, just like that. They've got two games coming up. And we'll talk about that a little bit later that could become losses at the 49ers, at home against the Steelers, depending upon which Steelers team shows up, depending upon which Packers team shows up. And they get together once every four years, usually a pretty good game between Green Bay and Pittsburgh. That is on the horizon. Chris, w- one thing I want to say while I'm thinking of it, and the rain really exacerbated the point. And every year around the Senior Bowl and the Scouting Combine, we get the report, like the Clarence Beaks clop, a crop report, yeah. on the hand size of the quarterback, Right. And, uh, and, and you hear, oh, hand size doesn't mean anything. Well, when it's wet and it's raining and you're Jared Goff and you're Aaron Rodgers, hand size means something. Yes. Because Jared Goff has small hands, and we saw the ball squirt out of it. Right. And Aaron Rodgers has... Gigantic freakish ET hands, right. even more freakish than yours, and it is best on display. I don't know if you've noticed this, the State Farm commercial where he's playing a guitar. Either oh. that thing is a ukulele, no, or that dude's got the biggest hands I've ever
1: seen. No, yeah, you're, they, they're the biggest hands I've ever seen. They're up there at least. I mean, yeah, you said I have gigantic hands, and. Putting my hands next to him when I was out there at that Lake Tahoe a few years ago, he he had a whole nother knuckle on me, and that <laughs> that just his the length of his fingers, yeah. So size, you know, of your hands, of course, it, it, that's why Brady was awesome in New England, right? Same type of same type of conversation doesn't really get affected, or you have to grip the ball a certain way. Patrick Mahomes doesn't have great like giant hands. But he grips the really small part of the ball. He only puts one hand finger on the lace, and therefore he can control it even in the bad elements. But golf between small hands and then I don't know how much if you you could hear the game, but like what Brian Greasy said with that long motion too – right? That's just a double whammy for the ball to lose control of the ball. The ball scored out of your hands at inopportune times. And uh, you're right. It's a point that we gloss over a lot. But last night, Rodgers was still throwing lasers as it was still spitting rain out there. And he really was throwing lasers. And
2: it really seemed to come to life for him in the second half. He started looking like the Aaron Rodgers of 2020, who was the league MVP. Let's hear from Aaron Rodgers, shall we, on bouncing back and getting the win in week two.
1: In the week you said that uh, there wasn't a change in preparation but was there a change in attitude especially after you guys said maybe there was some overconfidence going into the
0: same team mm. i don't know i just guess uh, i think we maybe tried to show that we cared a little bit more tonight
1: uh, obviously you cared last week but did it, you feel like it looked like you did last week is that kind of what you're implying what you mean i, uh, I think take that <laughs>
0: I just think people like to say a lot, of, and it's nice to come back in here after a game like that. Aaron, because you mentioned it, did, did the national conversation irk you over the past week? Did it, did it bother you? Obviously, you were aware of what was being said about caring I'm aware of it because of, of Tom. Tom keeps me aware of these things. I know that's only my first reference to him, but um, I, I think that there's there's even more now than when I started playing. There's so many overreactions that happen on a week-to-week basis. So it's nice to, to come out and have a good performance and get the trolls off our back for at least a week.
2: See, I, I I like that because it shows that he does have human reactions like the rest of us do to whatever happens. Sure. But the reality is, Chris, everyone said what they said based on last week's game because they sucked. Yeah. But it wasn't unfair. It was fair. Well, yeah. It was. Now some of it was over the top. I don't know if you saw the clip from your dad's show on CBS. Your dad was the only one who didn't go all in. Nate Burleson and Bill Cowher went all in on Aaron Rodgers. I'd never seen anything like that before. So that was just. One little slice of the national reaction, but when you're Aaron Rodgers, when you're the league MVP, when the entire offseason, whether you intended it or not, is about you, and you come out and play like that week one, that's what you're getting. So don't complain about it. Don't act surprised about it. Don't be pissed about it. You walked right into it. And you knew or should have known that if you don't show up, and if you don't act like you give a crap week one, you're going to have an avalanche of criticism on the back end.
1: Well, I know. But where I don't understand is like, why didn't he give a crap in week one? I mean, he was still, after every play, looking at guys and going, what the hell and all that. But we just decided to go with that storyline because there was, maybe he might retire before the weekend. I'm not talking about you and me. We didn't do that. Yeah, I saw my dad's show, The Overreaction. You know, the, the overreaction is like not about the team. It just is all Aaron Rodgers. It's just all Aaron Rodgers. And and that's where, to me, I, it just doesn't make sense and it's not fair at times. You know, I, people got to go back and watch that game closely and tell me what Aaron Rodgers was really supposed to do. You know, I know he threw the interception down to the goal line. Damn, he made a mistake. But that's, that's my shot. point. Rodgers can't. Yeah, the double nut shot. Rodgers can't. He can't make mistakes. They're, they're not allowed. They're not a good enough football team. They're not. As you saw last night, it's all about Rodgers and execution. The run game wasn't, like, special. The defense is not special. Zadarius Smith is not playing. And that's where I get tired of, like, the trolling of, like, Green Bay. You know, some people just don't like Aaron Rodgers because of the way he acts and, Uh, I guess the way he answers certain questions. But, you know, the way people talk about him, he's the whole team. I mean, when they win, it's him. When they lose, it's him. He should be paid $60 million a year. The hell with the rest of the team. The hell with them. Because that's the way everybody treats him, and that's where I don't understand it at times, and that's where I think it goes over the top. He's aware of it. He handled it fine there in that press conference. I think he passed your test, right? And, like, the last thing I'd like to say here just to button this up, is Aaron Rodgers didn't cause this problem in Green Bay. Green Bay did. He's allowed to act like this. Any other superstar quarterback that got treated, lied to, has been crapped on through their career. No free agents. No big-time talent around them. And they they would all act like this. They would Probably worse. Probably worse. So that's where I don't like it, and that's where I will defend them, and uh, that's all I got to say about that right now.
2: I think the pushback on that is when you let it linger the entire offseason and if you're telling the truth, you don't make a decision as to whether or not you're going to show up until the weekend before the start of camp and you're 50-50 entering the weekend and you see what we saw nine days ago, it doesn't take a whole lot of dexterity to put the needle and thread through the popcorn to get to the point where you ask yourself, is he really all in? Does he regret that he showed up? Did he just make the decision because, you know what, I don't want there to be some big storm of something other than rain because I don't show up for the start of camp, even though I'm really not sold on being there. That was all fair when we saw the product of week one. And when we heard him say they were lacking in energy because, as we both agreed last week, how in the hell are you lacking in energy for the first game? of the regular season but yeah. it was different last night they found a way to get the lawnmower started last night they kept a bad situation from becoming worse I expected them to win I was curious as to whether or not they would pull it off and when it was 17 to 14 at the half I'm thinking hey maybe they are in trouble here yeah they're scoring points at least their offense has shown up but their defense under Joe Barry was not looking good everything worked out and I think the rain did help the rain with Jared Goff and the small hands, and the Jared Goff, and Jared Goff being who Jared Goff is, and I still don't know why the Lions felt compelled to take that gigantic contract that was a mistake by the Rams, but uh, yeah, it all added up to that 18-point victory by the the Packers, and it and it allows them short week, San Francisco trip, to to go to California or Florida and uh, do better than the 1-5 they've been under Matt LaFleur, and we'll see if they can pull it off. It makes for a very intriguing Sunday night game because, again, we've seen two different types of team from a lot of franchises this year. And week three is going to help us maybe – Yeah push the pendulum one way or the other on what we're going to get. I have a feeling the Packers are going to be pretty good on Sunday night, but
1: that's a very intriguing game because maybe they won't be. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's a team like like the Saints or the 49ers or the Bucks in the NFC Championships we see where they have good defense and offensive fronts and they usually get pushed around cuz they don't have enough elite players up there. So that's where I go, it, we'll probably be having the conversation next week because Aaron Rodgers lost it. I don't know because they're going to lose to San Francisco on Sunday night. If you make me call it right now, I'm calling my shot right now. They're going to lose to San Francisco. I mean, Uh-oh. unless something we're lacking. All that,
2: all that stuff that you said about Aaron Rodgers and he was very happy, right. now he's going to be unhappy
1: again. Yeah, well, yeah. But, but so wait, this is where I do. There's two things I want to go back to. One, like – I know it's it's easy to question Aaron Rodgers and, oh, he was thinking about retirement leading up to training camp, but there was like 45, 50 days in between then, and he was all in on football, and nobody was questioning him in Green Bay. All right? They ran into a buzzsaw. They went into a place where they thought, "Oh, we're supposed to be at the Superdome playing the Saints, we're at a neutral field. We got more fans. Sean Payton had a red ass. They were getting no one was giving them a chance. He wants to prove that they're going to win without Drew Brees. It was the perfect storm. That's why just everybody I think overreacts a little bit when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. That's just my two cents there. Then like back to the game, like you know, yes, Rodgers and company executed on the offensive side of the ball, but how can you feel really feel good about Green Bay? Like, really go, oh man, I feel good now, man. I mean, Rodgers was executing a against a bunch of no names in the Detroit Lions secondary, like whoop-dee-doo. Okay, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you know what I mean. Not national superstar household names in Detroit, right? Not now. They're they're building something, and there they are. Okay, they go down and score on the first drive of the, of, the, of the second half. I mean, Detroit goes right down the field. They're in field goal range. They go for it on fourth and one. Goff misses the throw. You know, then it's okay, back to back to the Packers driving down the field and then it's Goff fumbles the ball on the snap, right? And that was kind of night night. I believe that's how it went down. Uh yep, I'm trying to That po- was the moment. Right? And that was Foubled the moment. Snap
2: short field, that was the moment. But I
1: don't sit there and go like, "Oh man, Green I feel better about Green Bay. They're dominant. They're back." No. Again, you know my feelings. It's all too much on one guy getting in the perfect play at the line, making the perfect throw. Matt Lafleur making the perfect play design in the lab during the week, and like if they can't do that, I I just that's where I question them because they're not just going to beat you with pure talent and brute force. That's that's my biggest issue with Green Bay.
2: And I don't disagree with any of that. They were fully expected to win that game and win it handily last night. That that's If they don't, then it's the five-alarm fire right. for the Green Bay Packers. Right. If they would have lost to the Lions and had back-to-back regular season losses for the first time under Matt LaFleur, and a Lions team they've mastered over the years, a Lions team that is still in shambles as it rebuilds from one culture into another, yes, it would have been something that would have caused a lot of us to say, see... Week one wasn't a fluke, but I think for now we can say it was a fluke, but the question is how good is this Packers team relative to the other good teams? Hey, they beat a bad team. They did what they should have done. You beat the bad teams, and you try to beat as many of the good teams as you can, and maybe it falls together that you get a good spot on the playoff tree, and you can get lucky and win some games, and everything falls together at the right moment, you find yourself in the Super Bowl. That's what all the good teams are trying to do. Exactly. But you have to take care of business against the bad teams. If you can't beat the bad teams, you got no chance right. to get to the playoffs or to beat the good teams. No, no so doubt. they did. Congratulations. They, they checked right. that box. But – and Aaron Rodgers – Second half last night, he had some throws. Yes, he did. He, he, I mean, he had some throws that were very impressive. And you know, anytime you see, anytime I see, and you've got me looking for this all the time, a guy making that throw that's just kind of like the flick of the wrist, yeah. And the velocity and speed and distance that can get put on the ball with just the flick of the wrist—it's amazing to me. Yeah. And and we saw a couple of those last night where he doesn't get the base set under him. He's moving one way, and he just fires the ball the other way, and it's like a lightning strike, and uh, right on the money. And it, it you can you can feel it give the team a lift no when doubt. he does that.
1: That that's what it is, right? That's where they're scary because now you go, oh wait, they got a little mojo on offense. Matt is gonna feel good about his game plan. He had some cool plays. Rogers got them into the right place a few times, made a few awesome throws. To your point, within the rhythm of the system, and then like off schedule. You know, like you're saying, moving in the pocket, jumping off the ground, flick of the wrist type, throws down the middle to Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams gets some confidence. You know, Robert Tunyon gets some confidence, right? And that's where you start to go, oh, Green Bay gets scary that way. Because if they do start executing and Rodgers is seeing the field clearly and really throwing the ball at his like 100% capacity, that's when they're dangerous. That's when they're dangerous. But it's just the other parts that I always question. And it's always on that little aspect we're talking about right there. And they need Zedaria Smith back, but they're not going to get him anytime soon. So, And it's a work in progress on the defensive side of the ball. So I guess that's, you know, yeah, it was good. It was, it was good to see that. But I'm not sitting here yet ready to go like, oh, I think Green Bay will be back in the NFC championship game and they look like one of the elite powers in the NFC. I got to see a little bit more before I start saying that again. Along the way, Aaron
2: Rodgers passed John Elway for 10th on the all time yardage list, and Rodgers is just going to keep on climbing that that ladder as long as he keeps playing. And Devontae Adams, who was quiet week one against the Saints, nine targets, eight receptions, 120 yards. 121 yards to be I don't want to take a yard away from him. And and he made a great catch on one of those Rogers flick of the wrist throws. Yeah. It, it was high and he he twisted his body and jumped up and got it. And it's just you can just feel the momentum. When Rodgers is kicking it in and whipping the ball around the way that he was, you just you feel that the Packers are the Packers and they're going to keep doing what we have grown to expect them to do that's the problem to get back to the whole idea of Aaron Rodgers being criticized and dealing with trolls when you are the MVP when your team is as good as it's been it creates an expectation that past results will lead to future performance and when it doesn't When you are a team that people are interested in, when you make yourself an interesting person, whether you deliberately are doing it, whether you're building a mystery or not, the way that he has conducted himself makes him that lightning rod, makes him that focal point. So when you don't perform, it's going to be noticed more than when Teddy Bridgewater doesn't perform, than when Kirk Cousins doesn't perform. Because Aaron Rodgers has made himself into this crossover figure. Yeah. This no. guy who's bigger than the game. A Tom Brady type of a figure. A Patrick Mahomes type of a figure. So when you crap down your leg, as you would say, to borrow one of your phrases, and for lack of a better term, <laughs> it's going to be noticed. So let's not be surprised. Yeah. That's the one thing. The The indignant. Right. The righteous indignation that's disappointing to me because Aaron is smart enough to know it goes with the territory. You're going to be the focal point of the league for much of the offseason because you're going through this public deliberation as to whether or not you're going to play. And you're pulling everyone's strings and, you know, the puppet master and working it all out. And when you have a reputation for being smart, we assume that it's all very strategic and you have this very high profile position and you have the game that you had week one. Don't be surprised that people are going to criticize you. You're you're the A-lister. Of course, you're going to get criticized. You're going to get praised. You're going to get criticized. Whatever you do is going to be tracked and it's going to be reacted to. Yeah. Don't act surprised. Don't keep get, get pissed. It's one of the products
1: of being the center of attention. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I don't disagree with a lot you said there. I mean, he is. I mean, he he's got a little snarkiness in him, you know, at times. You're right. He can say things. I price. like it. I do, too. He could say things at a press conference that you're like, wait, that, that, that's open-ended. What did he mean by that? I don't really know, but that might not be a good thing for a team. I, I understand that too. I think where, you know, if I'm in his shoes where I get frustrated and where I get frustrated for him having played football or growing up, you know, with a, with a dad who played football and you see unfair criticism sometimes is it's just always on him. The team got railed last week against the Saints. And it's just, there's nothing about the rest of the team. It's just Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers outplays Brady in the NFC Championship game, but everybody just talks about Rodgers can't win the big one. What? It's, just, it's Rodgers, huh? It wasn't Aaron Jones fumbling. It wasn't, you know, stupid defensive plays. It wasn't a holding that, you know, maybe led to a pass interference or that wasn't a pass interference and got intercepted by the Bucs. I mean, there's just – there's I think that's where it's just – it's always that. It's the Seattle Seahawks, the greatest defense we've ever seen. He's up 18-7. to None of the rest of the team helps him to win the game. He loses that. Everybody blames Aaron Rodgers. You know, there's just so much of that all the time. And that's where I do at least have a little human compassion for him because – he is of that star status you're talking about, but doesn't have Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey or Chris Jones or Andy Reid, for that matter, or Rob Gronkowski or Antonio Brown or Evans and everybody else. And that's where it's not fair, but we still hold them to the same standard with those guys and go, we expect you to be just as good as them or better. And I just want to say his team is not on the same planet as those two teams, and it's not fair to expect that from him on a week-to-week basis. And it
2: gets back to his concerns regarding the building of the roster, right. the personnel decisions that are made. We just assume that the Green Bay Packers front office is this factory of elite football talent. The reality is they've gone from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, and when you have that quarterback position extremely well taken care of, it Life's covers easier. up a lot of flaws. Right, 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 right. And and Chris, look, I don't want to get philosophical here but point i've made in the past when you don't have an owner when you're a corporation you know that that same burning desire that a jerry jones has to win a super bowl i don't know that there's anyone in the packers organization above the players or the coaches that have that same burning desire that are willing to go out and spend whatever it takes one of the stories aaron Rodgers tells about ted thompson is that Thompson called him in 2007 when there were rumors that they were going to go after Randy Moss, and he just wanted Aaron Rodgers to know those were just rumors. They weren't going to do it. Okay, fine. Why didn't you do it? <laughs> look at what well, look at what Randy Moss did in 2007. Yeah. Oh, these are just rumors. Well, and uh, Aaron, we just want you to know the rumors. Well, okay, maybe Aaron should have said to him, Well, if I'm going to be the starter here in 2008, it sure would be nice to have that guy. Running the yes. pass routes and making my life easier. Why don't we do it? Why don't they do it? And again, I don't sense from the Packers organization the overwhelming obsession. And it could be a bad thing. You could go all in and sure. mortgage your future. Right. You you could do reckless dumb things. Right. There are there are drawbacks to having that one person who can catch the wild hair any given day and fire this person or sign that person or make that trade or whatever. But they never seem to have that single-minded obsession each and every year. And it's pragmatic. It's corporate thinking. Hey, it's too damn hard to try to bend the Lombardi trophy your way. All we can do is get ourselves in a position where we're in the vicinity of the top of the mountain. And if everything works out just perfectly and we make it to the top, great. But as long as we're in the vicinity, we're going to make a ton of money. Our season ticket waiting list is going to be 70 years long, and we're going to be just fine for a rinky-dink little, and I hate to say it, I live in a rinky-dink state, but a rinky-dink town in, in Wisconsin that somehow has, it kind of dawned on me last night, think about the modern NFL, and there's this little town in Green Bay yeah. that's got one of the best franchises in amazing. the NFL. It's an amazing story. It is. But, but I just, they don't have that obsession no. That burning obsession in the organization, I don't see it to win the Super Bowl every year like other teams have. No,
1: we don't see that mo that we never see that moment where they push the chips in the middle of the pile and they go, We're going for it. Like now's the time. Here we go. It's crazy because like those type of moves have won the Super Bowls. Oh, wait, wait, we need a quarterback. Let's trade for one. Oh, his name's Brett Favre. Oh, now we're in the Super Bowl mix. Oh, we we need some defensive players. Oh Free agency, first time it's ever been invented in the NFL. Let's sign Reggie White. Oh, you went to two Super Bowls, you know? Oh, you know, 15 years later, we need somebody in the secondary. Charles Woodson, you go to the Super Bowl. I mean, they've had, like, you know, very few big-time off-season acquisitions like that or moves like that, and it's led to good things. You would think they'd look at that and go, man, that's kind of worked out for us when we've made moves like that. And, yeah, that's where I fight back against everything, Mike. It's just... It's it's when you – I mean, the Chiefs, how they just reorganized their roster this year. I mean, you got an all-pro left tackle, all-pro guard. You know, we got Jerron Reed, who's a pro bowl defensive tackle. We traded for Mike Hughes. We're going all in again in Kansas City. Tampa's, you know, of course, kept that team together, but Brady always through the years. Like you said, whether it's Randy Moss through the draft, making trades for Aqib Talib Darrell Revis. You know, Stephon Gilmore, all of them are going to the Hall of Fame at corner, let alone other guys that New England has acquired. That's where Rodgers feels cheated, and that's where I understand him getting sensitive at times when people, like, you know, put him in that conversation but go, yeah, but he can't win the big ones against them. And I want to go, yeah, because it's not fair. And uh, I think your point about the ownership and all that is very real. I do. The ownership has that ownership of the team. It's his little baby, and he feels like it reflects on him when the team doesn't win a super bowl or do that. And of course, when the owner who's a billionaire and usually has an ego like that anyways, yes, he tends to go a little bit more aggressive and go like I want it now. Let's make a move. Let's do it. And there is not that in Green Bay, and I think that kind of jumps out to everybody around the league at times. And the pushback that you'll get from people with
2: the Packers or people who cover the Packers or Packers fans is, "Hey, We'd rather not have Jerry Jones. We'd rather not have Daniel Snyder. Well, that's fine, but you also don't have Robert Kraft. Yeah, right. And you don't have what the what the Glazers have been willing to do in Tampa. Now, that has not been a shining beacon of proper functionality in recent years but they got it together they figured it out they made the moves and they kept everybody there i mean they saw the opportunity to get tom brady and they got him knowing that it would transform the franchise not that the packers would have been in the mix for brady but still it's about making the right moves at the right time and showing that burning desire to to get to the top of the mountain not just stay in the vicinity of the top of the mountain but get there let's get there chiefs lose the super bowl and like you said they identify exactly what they need to do to get back and win it. The Buccaneers identify exactly what they need to do to get back and win it. Other teams, you look around at the moves they made, the Patriots, everything they did. Hey, we didn't make it to the playoffs. Our, our roster stinks. Let's do what we have to can't, do right. to make our roster better. Where Where is that from Green Bay? It's always draft and develop, draft and develop, draft and develop draft and develop. Not, let's go out and find some good players that we think fit our culture, that will help us get better, because they don't want to be wrong. They'd rather do nothing than do something that blows up on them. But that's part of the risk you take Yeah, when you go out and sign a Joe Tooney. Or you know, make the big splash like the 49ers did, trading up for a quarterback that they hope is going to be a generational talent. You take the risk, you're going to get it wrong. Right.
1: Well, you never get it wrong if you don't take the risk, but if you don't take the risk, you never get it right. Yeah, that's right. The league is too close. You know, the, the league is too close. I've had this, like, you know, conversation with a few people, you know, lately just where when you get to the top teams, I mean, yeah, they all can execute. They can all throw the ball and catch the ball well. They all got studs on the defense for the most part. You know, which like when we get to those top teams, it it comes down to a lot of games, a handful of plays every game, four or five plays. And who's got like the Jimmies and the Joes that are going to make the play? Who's got it? Who's going to, that's the difference. I mean, the NFL is just so close right now. And that's where players and aggressive moves and free agency, yeah, certainly come into play. And uh, I think that's where they have dropped the ball. That's where I get frustrated about it. And listen, you could be a team that has their formula Right? Like the Pittsburgh Steelers are a little bit like that. But then show me you can draft the superstars the Steelers can. Because that that's the other like, yeah, they're they're like you guys a little bit. They like to it's homegrown. Here's our guys. But damn, they draft TJ Watt and Bud Dupree and like Cam Hayward and Sevon it But then every now and then they make a move. Oh, Minka Fitzpatrick. Oh, look at him. Hey, he's one of the best safeties in football. But yeah, they have a bigger better track record of drafting difference making type players. But the rest and and
2: drafting for need, immediate
1: need, not draft to develop. Exactly, we need a running
2: back. Let's get Najee Harris. Right, they go for it. We we need a pass rusher. Let's get T.J. Watt. Yes, that's the difference because the Steelers do have that. Yes, from the Rooneys down burning desire every year to win the Super Bowl. They bring Big Ben back because he gives them a better chance to win the Super Bowl than any other option that they currently had. Yes, it may have been better for the team to take a step back this year. They don't take step backs. They're always pushing forward. And if if their effort to push forward knocks them back, they'll deal with it and they'll get up and they'll keep pushing forward. One thing, though, that the yeah. Packers did this off season. They re-signed Aaron Jones before he became a free agent. That paid off last night, definitely, to the tune of four touchdowns. And I, I knew his father had passed. First Man, of all, I didn't the, realize how young his father was at fifty-seven. I, I, yeah, well, because we We've had the whole them. family with right. us. Yes. The whole family, and one of the reasons Aaron Jones is the man he is is because of his parents. They have molded him into a great young man. His dad died at 57 due to complications from COVID-19 back in April. Let's hear from Aaron Jones about something that happened last night. I hope he finds the thing that he lost after he scored the first of his four touchdowns. Here's Aaron Jones after the game.
0: I think the Browns crew is about to go out there and look right now, Um, but if it was any place to lose it, that's where my dad would have wanted me to lose it, so I know he's smiling.
2: He lost a necklace with his father's ashes in it, and the ground crew was out there looking for it at 2 a.m., uh, trying to find the necklace that holds his father's ashes. He lost it on the second touchdown catch in that area of the end zone. So uh, that, that I, I just didn't know. I mean, that was a gut punch last night. I knew his father had passed, didn't know how old he was, didn't know what he had died of. But that,
1: that was a double gut punch. Um, and, somebody uh, just turned the lights uh, out off on me. You see me over here? Well, I mean, literally, Chris, Chris I'm here. Is, uh, this is good TV. People might enjoy this better. <laughs> Chris, Chris, you look better. I you look much. younger. I've been told. Look you at look, that. No you wrinkles. look refreshed. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, we, we've we've got a minor technical difficulty. <laughs> I don't the, know what the happened. The electricity bill has not been paid in Stamford, Connecticut, and uh, we'll get that paid and get the lights back on quickly but uh yeah back to Aaron Jones that that just really was a heartbreaker to see that and he was motivated he's dedicated the season to his father four touchdown ties the most ever scored by anyone in a single game at Lambeau Field three receiving touchdowns most by a Packers running back since 1942 Andy Urim had three touchdown receptions as a running back against the Chicago
1: Cardinals so Chris is Chris is in a dark room. You can talk. Okay, oh. good. I don't know. Pete was talking to me. I think he thought like there was the camera or something. No, Pete, the lights went out, everybody. The lights are totally out. I'm sitting here in the dark looking at Mike Florio. You know what you can finally do then? You can give me the finger and I'm no back one will on. Know.
2: Oh, Show well me now. I'm giving oh, you finger. just missed it, everybody.
1: Stop. Stop. <laughs> stop. Wait. <laughs> Thank you. Wait. I do oh. want to say one thing, too, though. The Aaron Jones thing, <laughs> just because you were on a serious note there. And you're right. I think it was two Super Bowls in a row we got to meet the family. And, yes, I, Aaron Jones, I root for him because of just seeing him with his brother, his mom, his dad. You know, there was a few other family members there. That it was a special. We brought connection. them all up, right? They were all there. They were awesome. I think I was. I was worried the stage was going to give out. We had so many people right, on it. Right, right. It was. Uh, and you just, you know, that was. He was a huge part of it. it was like you could see the love his father had for him. Like even when he was up there at the table with us. Like, man, my son's living his dream. So that that did hurt yesterday. I had forgot about it as well. Uh, but man, uh, condolences to Aaron Jones, and he's an easy guy to root for for because of the human being he is and uh he really got it going last night and it was great to
2: see and uh he's he's a weapon that he is. that aaron Rodgers needs and and we can't we can't go all in on the packers failure to put weapons around aaron Rodgers. no without i pointing know. out that they did draft and develop aaron jones and they kept him they kept him uh and i don't know could he have gotten more elsewhere i don't know uh it's not like they're paying him a ridiculous amount of money relative to other running backs, so it was a good deal to keep him. But still, it's, it, it, it takes a lot to pay big money to any running back after four years in the NFL because you can always go out and find another one in the yeah. draft.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, listen, there, there are some talented players on there. Uh, we, we don't want to do injustice to what Green Bay has done totally. I think we're just trying to button it up to go, yeah, we hold them to the Super Bowl standard always, and they don't always make Super Bowl moves. And that's what I think we're saying at the end of the end of the day. But I mean, come on, Devontae Adams is a hell of a player. Robert Tunyon's a hell of a player, and Aaron Jones fits really perfect with that offense. And of course, you know he's just great catching the ball out of the backfield, like we saw last night. And he is a weapon in that way. And uh, I certainly don't want to totally do them an injustice here by you know discrediting what they've done there in Green Bay. And, and let me just say
2: this because I've mentioned this a few times in recent weeks. I've noticed this anger this venom that comes from fans of a given team when we dare to point out the things that deep down they are or should be worried, concerned or frustrated about when it comes to their favorite team they get mad because it's like we're criticizing them because they identify you know we don't don't attack us we're not attacking You were acting basically as the advocates of the fans of that team. I made the point last night to do a complete 90-degree turn here, but I try to put myself in the shoes of how a Texans fan would feel on a short week without Tyrod Taylor, and we're paying Deshaun Watson $10.5 and he's not playing. What the hell are we doing? I mean, if I'm a fan, I'm mad about that. So if you're a Packers fan, you're mad, or you should be mad, about the fact that they never go all in. Hey, yeah, we're always near the top of the division or in the wild card conversation. And we we at least have that excitement of getting ready to play for an NFC championship. But if we keep losing those games, I mean, at some point we want to win it. At some point we want to be back in the Super Bowl. And it you know, once a decade, I don't know, maybe I'd like it a little more often than that if I'm a Packers fan. So so don't don't get twisted what we're trying to do here. We're trying to point out the things that we think whatever team we're talking about on any given day needs to do to get to a point where they're consistently good and
1: competing for championships, and then there's the Lions. Yeah. I don't know what to say to Lions well, fans. Well, yeah, you're right. The poor Lions fans, you're right. I mean, we, we should. I mean, listen, at the very least, you can look at the Lions, and if I'm I'm talking to the Lions fan, I'm going – how do you not you know kind of like the direction the way your team looks fights plays you know i like the attitude of dan campbell you know the thing that jumps out to me more than anything and i shouldn't be surprised from any coach from the bill Par- parcells you know coaching tree player tree or whatever you know it's it is physical you know it's the basics of football And it is about they they approach each game with the proper game plan. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work out. They're not a real talented team. They're kind of trying to, you know, flip over the roster here. But I think the approach we saw last night and what Anthony Lynn's doing on the offensive side and Aaron Glenn, I mean, they gave Green Bay, who's a better team than them, period, a hard time. Until Detroit started to make a few mistakes and just couldn't quite keep up with the pace. So I think if you are a Lions fan, there's certain things to like, hey, Penny Sewell looks like a beast. No doubt about it. And you got some defensive players there on the front seven that are pretty damn good too. But, you know, yeah, they're, they're a work in progress and it's not going to happen overnight. If I'm a Lions fan, and all due respect,
2: and of course, it's always too late when you utter those words, I'm still not happy that Jared Goff is the quarterback. I'm not happy about that at all. And I'm not happy about the perception that they really wanted him. This was a business transaction. This was an effort to get the maximum return from the Rams as part of the Matthew Stafford trade. They did not get two first-round picks and a third-round pick for Matthew Stafford. They got two first-round picks and a third-round pick for Matthew Stafford and taking on that $33.5 million albatross of a contract that never should have been paid to Jared Goff. And they decided, unlike the Browns, when they bought Brock Osweiler's contract and got a second-round pick for it and ultimately dumped Brock Osweiler, the Lions have decided to, to use the guy. And hey, you're going to get some of what you saw last night because it's some of what we saw from Jared Goff with the Rams. And, you know, the ball slips out of his hands and he throws the interceptions. He had some good, but he had some bad. And the rain was a factor. But don't expect Jared Goff to suddenly become... right a better quarterback just because he's gone to a lesser team. If anything, he's going to be a much lesser quarterback. If, to get back to what we are talking about with Aaron Rodgers, you take a guy from a team of superstars with a superstar coach, and you put him with a new coach, evolving constantly culture, and a bunch of guys who are overmatched, and it's going to show in Jared Goff's performance. 100%. So they'd be better off with a young guy and and trying to build and grow with him. I feel like this is a two-year maximum proposition for the Lions before they they move on to their next guy
1: who potentially becomes their franchise guy. A hundred percent. I mean, I would be shocked if they're not in the market for a quarterback this offseason. At least I would. you know. But you're right, maybe it gets two years if he plays well here. But I think what, you know, I thought like, you know, Greasy and, and Lewis Reddick did a good job last night of kind of explaining like what Jared Goff is. Yeah, there's a lot of good. There is a lot of good. It's just like we've kind of always seen. He's not the kind of quarterback that Oh wait, things are going tough for us right now. Jared'll make a few plays and get us back in this game. And nor, you know, nor is like he going to always come through in the most clutchest of moments, you know? I think they kind of said that at one point too. Yeah. You know, it's it's a lot of good, but in the moments where you need like wait you know, we need our franchise quarterback to really execute and be clutch and come up with a big play here. It just doesn't seem to happen a whole lot. He needs somewhat of a formula around him to make it work. And, uh, you know, I think ultimately, like you said, this was just a move to help build their team, build their roster, you know, kind of put a bandaid at the quarterback position just for a year or so as they figured this all out. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'd be shocked if they kind of weren't in that conversation this offseason.
2: Yeah, this is a multi-year rebuild. Anytime you make the dramatic change in culture like they've done, it's going to take time to get the players there who will best execute it. You can only do so much to coax the players that you have to become the kinds of guys you want moving forward. Matt, Patricia went through that when he took over and he handled it a certain way that didn't work out very well for him obviously or he'd still be there and now Dan Campbell until he can get to the point where he has the guys he wants he has to make do with the guys he has and just try to do anything that can create a sense of progress optimism hope and just win games and they got the Ravens coming to town on Sunday so good luck avoiding zero three for the Detroit Lions uh, to start the 2021 season right, let's go ahead and take a break here um, I had mentioned the Houston Texans uh, as an example as to how we try to advocate on the behalf of fans let's take a deeper dive into what's going on with the Texans the quarterback position as they get ready to face the Panthers the 2-0 Panthers to begin week three of the 2021 season we'll discuss that next here on PFT Live
1: Before I get asked, Deshaun Watson will be deactivated this week, just like he has been for the first two two ball games. Uh, as far as Tyrod goes, at this point right now, it's day
0: to day. You know, he's getting an MRI. He's uh, uh, he's been looked at. Uh, we'll just see later on this afternoon how it is and how it is. You know what happens, and we'll just take it day to day with him. If he's able to go and ready
1: to go, he'll play.
2: That was David Culley, coach of the Texans, yesterday. It was on Sunday when he was asked about Deshaun Watson possibly playing in the event Tyrod Taylor can't. He said, we'll see. It's now clear that, and we've known this, this isn't some revelation. He's not making those decisions. Those decisions are way above him. This is a Casario, Easterby, maybe Cal McNair-level decision as to whether or not to use Deshaun Watson. They don't want to play Deshaun Watson because they don't want him to get injured and harm their ability to get that huge haul of picks. They're hoping for either now or or after the season. And also, I think they recognize if all of a sudden they decide they're going to play Deshaun Watson, they force the NFL to decide whether or not to put him on paid leave. Right now, the NFL hasn't decided whether to do it because it doesn't have to because the Texans have put him on paid leave as this delicate truce that they have in place to pay him, not play him, and wait to trade him. So it won't be him. John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, Chris, reported that Tyrod Taylor could miss four weeks with that hamstring injury. So that tells me it's not some minor pull. This is a major hamstring injury to be out for that long. So it's Davis Mills, period. Davis Mills, prime time, Thursday night football with the undefeated Panthers and their awesome defense coming to town.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, the Panthers are for real. They are. Now, the Texans, I think, are, you know have caught us all by surprise. I mean, they were kind of standing there toe-to-toe with the Cleveland Browns in week two. In a lot of ways like the first thing I just got to say is man do I feel for Tyrod Taylor I mean I really do holy cow I mean the guy just it's just so unfortunate plays awesome week one starts out week two playing awesome you know he's making a lot of big throws a lot of great plays off schedule out of the pocket uh, so I, I really do I heard from him. it was it was week two right last year when Dr. Needle struck right I mean, yes, he just couldn't. He couldn't be more unlucky uh, in a lot of ways, and I really do feel for him. And and of course, yes, it hurts their football team. They don't have a lot of blue chip offensive players on that side. Taylor's ability to kind of make plays is is one of the best things they got going. I mean, it's the reason they upset Jacksonville. The touchdown run he you know last week where he pulls his hamstring, you know that was a great play by him as well. Um, Davis Mills is is going to have polish and knows how to run the offense but he's not going to make those plays there's nothing physically gifted about uh, uh, about davis mills arm is just okay athlete just okay and that's where they're going to really miss tyrod especially against this group like you're talking about in carolina who's got a bunch of super freaks on the defensive side of the ball and i say that respectfully
2: uh, you always do say it respectfully the um The Tyrod Taylor strategy moving forward should be to never play in the vicinity of September 19 (laughs) to 20. Because last year, September 20, Dr. Needle. Three years ago, September 20 was the Thursday night game, Browns-Jets, when he got injured. And it opened the door for Baker Mayfield. And then this year, September 19, when he doesn't have a first-round rookie waiting to get on the field, he still has the injury and it happens and and i don't know whether guys are injury prone whether it's something with the team something with the guy something i don't know but hamstring pulls happen they shouldn't happen you know you should be sufficiently flexible and loose and pliable the word that we've learned in the last five years that 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 shouldn't happen but it did and now he's out for up to four weeks and it's the davis mills show as the texans try to get to two and one hey they're tied for first place in the AFC South with the Tennessee Titans. So they got something going for them. And we have – and it's not just me, although I just kind of wrote the Texans off before the season even began. Yeah, We shouldn't write them off. They, they have something. They have more. They went out and got a lot of veteran players who can come That's in, plug and is. play, right. responsible professional guys right. who lifted the talent level of the team. Uh, and, you know, when – we just had this narrative that they have a horrible team, and when I looked at the depth chart at one point in the preseason, I thought, "Boy, you know, like ninety percent of my brain says the, t- the the Texans stink,"
1: but I'm looking at this depth chart, I'm saying, "They, you know, got a solid it's there. It's th- still an NFL team. It's not yeah. time to
2: relegate them to the
1: CFL." Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I think the point you made right off the bat there is is the point that I come to a lot. It's just, hey, they got a lot of guys who have been there, done that. You know, it, it's it is it's real pros. They, the defensive coaches, offensive coaches, of course, you know, there's there's a lot of New England history there. So they understand how to play a game, game plan, how to fit their players into the proper game plan for that week. And I think that's probably what we overlooked more than anything. You know, and, and we talk about it a lot of times like you got to learn how to win in the NFL. There is something to that. There, there definitely is. You know, it's just it's different game than college and high school, where you can make mistakes and still be just the more talented team and will win the game. No, in the NFL, you almost got to play perfect every week to win a football game. I mean, there's very little room for error, and that's where veteran players do come in handy because college guys are like, wait, wait, I'm I'm not allowed to miss a block like two or three times a game or. You know, I'm not allowed to make a mental mistake like three or four times a game. No, you're not. Because when you do that, it's 70-yard touchdown or strip sack fumble or whatever it is. And I think that's where the we, at least I slept on the Texans in, in that department. We slept on the Las Vegas Raiders as well. They're one of the surprise teams at
2: 2-0. and Yesterday, Coach John Gruden gave an update, not just on Josh Jacobs, who missed the game at Pittsburgh, but Derek Carr, who looked to be potentially seriously injured, didn't miss a beat. Could he miss a beat this weekend against the Dolphins? Let's hear from Gruden. Uh,
0: he had an MRI on it today. I think he's going to be uh, able to play. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, will will have the official injury list for you. Uh, I'll make sure that it, uh, it gets officially laid out there uh, in your hands. But I think right now he's questionable. How's Josh doing? Um, I met with him this morning. He's in great spirits, really happy with the win. I would I would think he's day-to-day and very questionable again for this game.
2: Technically, under the manner in which the league revamped the injury designation several years ago, questionable is anywhere from 50-50 to basically 99%. It's a very broad category that gets used as the default now. and. I think a lot of guys who are questionable are technically doubtful. Doubtful is less than 50 and basically more than 1%. But questionable is just the knee-jerk bucket into which everyone gets dropped. So Carr's injured. He's not 100%, so he's questionable. But I'd be stunned if the guy doesn't play. Look at how determined he was, Chris, to get back in the game on Sunday he's going to be determined not to give an opening to Nathan Peterman or anyone else they added Kyle Slaughter because of the Marcus Mariota injury in the IR situation and that's a recognition that maybe they're going to need some depth in the event that Carr aggravates the injury but there's no way he's going to step aside. He's going to do everything he has to do to get himself ready to play, just like he did on Sunday. He did everything he had to do to stay in the game when it looked like he was seriously injured.
1: Yeah, I mean, 100%. Even like last year. I mean, remember that injury? What, he hurt his groin in the game? And I'm like, oh, damn, he's done for the year. He gutted out. Hey, you can say what you want. Derek Carr's tough. And he is some stubborn SOB. I mean, the the handle of John Gruden, the way he has, and uh, really, I mean, where we underestimated... The Las Vegas Raiders is this guy right here, plain and simple. We just didn't know. could the Raiders really come out and execute that way and play that good on offense versus those two defenses right off the bat? Yes, they can. Derek Carr said yes, they can. I mean, him and Brady are the MVPs of football through two weeks. I mean, there's no other way to say it, really. They're at the top of the list. And, yeah, I would be shocked. I'm with you as well. I mean, he has uh, – I think he looks at it and goes, wait, I'm on fire We got some momentum rolling, and I would be really surprised if he doesn't play against the Miami Dolphins this week as well. They got it done without Josh
2: Jacobs. Very questionable, not just questionable. I don't know what that means. There isn't an official category for very questionable. That would, I guess, be closer to doubtful, less than 50%, but they've got some time after that short week to start the season to get Josh Jacobs ready to go if they are able to to get him on the field. But, you know, what? they don't really need the running game when you've got Derek Carr flinging it around the way he did against the Steelers. It's always good to have balance, though. Yeah, They should be able to beat the Dolphins on Sunday, especially if they have Derek Carr. The Indianapolis Colts are in a different situation altogether. Here is Frank Reich, the head coach of the Colts, providing the update on Monday as to the status of his starting quarterback.
0: Can confirm that Carson does have – sprains in both ankles i know this i know carson has a very high threshold of pain Um, you know naturally i think it goes without saying that when you got a guy who's a pocket passer you know uh, it affects his game a little bit less than a guy who is a mobile quarterback i mean i think that's not rocket science i think everybody understands that to be true so um you know I, i my history with carson is that he's a pretty fast healer and that he's tough and if there's any chance he can play with uh, these ankle sprains, then he'll play.
2: You know, Man, I made this comment here, earlier. Like, this is oh, bad. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't it know is how he did to break it. Well, and I talked about this yesterday afternoon when we hit on the fact that Wentz has not one but two ankle injuries. The right one is clearly the worst of the two. You've got, okay. A guy who just can't stay healthy. He's His body is constituted in a way where he's fragile. That's one possibility. Yeah. The other possibility is you just don't have a good nutrition and training and flexibility regimen. You're not on the full TB12 pli- pliability plan. That's another explanation. You know, one very simple explanation is you just put yourself in harm's way too often, yeah. and I think that's it for Carson Wentz. We saw him dragged down by Aaron Donald. I guarantee you when – Now watch, it's going to happen now that I'm saying this. When Tom Brady plays the Rams on Sunday, the first game he's ever played in L.A., you're not going to see him dragged down by Aaron Donald. It's not going to get to the point where he's trying to do something beyond the point at which he's in the danger zone. Exactly. One of the biggest challenges for a starting quarterback, and Drew Brees said this nine days ago when we were doing a digital video after halftime of the Sunday night opener, you have to be available if you want to be a franchise quarterback. You have to do everything you can to make sure you're available to your team. And that means when you're in that window where something bad is potentially going to happen to you, you don't get in that window. Right. You don't let yourself get in that window. Wentz constantly does. That's why he's
1: always injured. No, no doubt about it. You know, it's, it's, it's always playing to the edge. And he does. He puts himself in compromising positions like that a lot. Like, can we show that replay one more time where he hurt his ankle when you guys get a chance in the back room? You know, yeah, you make the point. Like Brady, you know, listen, even Mahomes, they're just gonna like go limp noodle right here and just go down. Not try to make a throw as they're being flipped around with like maybe the strongest pound for pound human in football dragging on him. You know, so yes, there there is he just I I really respect his guts and his toughness. And all that, but sometimes being tough is just going. Damn, I'm gonna throw the ball away or go down here because I gotta make the tough decision to be available for my team, like you're talking about. Now he's been unlucky. I mean, here he is with the. We're thinking, oh man, he's gonna go to the Colts and he's gonna get some good pass protection. And they should. They've been crap. They can't protect him. I mean, they've been crap in two weeks. So that is unlucky. But he does compound it at times. And you know, Frank Reich talks about like he's a pocket passer. Yeah. He's kind of pocket plus. You know, it's, yeah, pocket passer, but man, does he move a lot within that pocket or just get right on the edge of that pocket to make a lot of plays and throws? And he catches himself in danger a lot that way. And man, his body's been beat up in a short time in this career already. And that this is where you start to do worry, where you start to go, Man, after this many injuries, you know, it starts, they start to just keep rolling because you're always fixing something. You're always favoring something. Something's never as strong as it should be. And that's where I worry about Carson Wentz going forward. We heard Frank Reich praise Carson Wentz for being tough. And
2: that's great. But you can be tough and dumb. As the saying goes, there's a fine line between courage and stupidity. Yeah. You put yourself in bad spots. We'll stipulate that you're tough. We know you went to North Dakota State. Maybe you got a little chip on your shoulder about that all these years later. You don't have to prove to anyone that you're tough. Take a seat. Fall down. Go limp noodle. Throw the ball away. Live to play another day instead of putting the team's fate in the hands of Jacob Eason or someone else. That's where you're smart. You can be tough or you can be smart. Yeah, twelve straight games for three or more with three or more sacks for Carson Wentz. You got to get rid of the football. You got to live to play another day. Uh,
1: you could file Chris Sims under tough but dumb. Okay, I mean, I really, I was tough but dumb. That's it. that's why you I got lost. A, you a got spleen. A, a
2: spleen. They were looking for a spleen in the end zone at yeah. Tampa Bay Stadium, not a pendant. But that's what it was. Ago.
1: You know, Gruden used to call me Big Soldier because he loved how I would just not flinch in the pocket and do that. And I, I relished it. I was like, you're right. Nobody can hurt me. I am big soldier. I'm just going to stand in there. Screw it. You know, come hit me. You're not going to hurt me. I used to enjoy that. I used to get off on that. You know, that like when I get hit hard and, like, you know, a defensive lineman or linebacker look at you like, did I hurt you? And you pop right back up and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. See you next play. You know, I used to. But it's stupid. And it ended my career. So that got me nowhere. You know, so, yeah, I wish I would have took some of the you know, Peyton Manning approach and just go down. And I'm not trying to say that to be like, just live to play another day. Be yes, smart. And that's, that's part the way, of playing football right now. The thing that got
2: Jim Everett criticized 30 years ago. Right. Leading up leading up to that memorable moment with Jim Rome. That's a thing that gets a quarterback praised it's now. Or place. should get a quarterback praised. Yeah. Take a seat. When the walls cave in, avoid the walls.
1: It's that simple. A hundred percent. It really is. You know, just uh, the franchise quarterback is – the the league is set up for the quarterback to be successful and win the games. And, of course, most teams have some pretty pretty special talent at that position. And, yeah, they they are a huge factor in whether their team can win or lose a football game. And that's where, you know, a lot of quarterbacks have figured that out. Carson Wentz, he's tough. He competes. I get that. But he has yet to, like – figure out that line or that edge to go it's like a little bit the sean watson we talked about a few years ago it's just every play is like the last play of the game and it's just every play you're like oh my gosh is something great gonna happen is it gonna be a disaster is he gonna get crushed here it's one of the three and that's kind of like it is watching carson once play football on sundays another guy
2: who needs to develop a a way to avoid contact is Tua Tonga-Vailoa. We saw him get hit early and often on Sunday by the Bills defense. Here's Brian Flores, the Dolphins head coach, with an update on Tua's rib injury and Will Fuller, who was supposed to make his debut on Sunday against the Bills but missed the game for personal reasons.
0: Uh, yeah, Tua's, obviously, you, you know, he went out of the game yesterday. Uh, we're still running some tests. He's in a lot of pain yesterday. Still in a you know good, good deal of pain today, but um, – you know, I think, you know, we'll call him day-to-day right now. Um, as far as Will, uh, Will was here today, and, um, you know, we expect him here this week as well. If it is a question of pain management, his ability to come back, what kind of toughness does Tua have? He's a tough kid. I mean, I'd say he's a very tough kid. I mean, he's – whether it's I mean, just coming back from the hip. Uh, I think he had a thumb last year that he, you know, he played through um, – they try to you know try to go yesterday, um, you know toughness isn't something that you know a question with him
2: i I hate those topics. I hate those questions. pain management, is he tough enough? Can he play through pain? They're all playing through some degree of pain. They're all brave, they're all courageous to put the uniform on and cross the white stripe. I don't like it when a player is goaded into playing when maybe he shouldn't play because he needs to demonstrate he's a tough guy and he can play with pain. That just burns my butt, Chris, Every and it happens every year. And I'm surprised Brian Flores didn't get a little saltier about it. I just don't, th- I don't like those questions yeah. about linking pain, toughness to injury. He's got a rib injury on his left side. He's left-handed. If he can play, he'll play. Right. If he can't, he won't. He's got to be able to protect himself. We have to be sure that there isn't some injury there that can be made worse if he's hit again. Right. This isn't about pain or not pain, especially when they got the all lines. And, and I know they're being more careful about it, but back to Dr. Needle. That's how Tyrod Taylor ended up not playing last year. He was getting a pain-killing injection because he had a rib injury. Yeah. So Tua Tagovailoa is going to do everything he has to do to be on the field. That's not the issue. The issue is even with all of the modern medical advantages is it going to be enough we don't know based upon where things stand right now
1: no i mean we don't i mean i think first off you're exactly right like hey you know i mean most of the most football players in the nfl are are psychos they're crazy like if you ask their friend group like who's the crazy guy in the group it's the guy who's playing in the nfl he was always that crazy guy whether it was in the backyard playing foot touch i mean tackle football or wiffle ball or going crazy when he's playing video games and pissed off he's losing to a friend in Madden. I mean, that's who these guys are. So that's that's why they're there for more times than not. And Tua loves the sport 100%. I don't question Tua's toughness at all. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But, you're, you know, you, you, there is a fine line. And the ribs, like you're talking about, on your throwing arm, yeah, that can be uncomfortable. I mean, man, everything is about folding right here. The pressure is going to be all there. So can he... I'm not worried, like, can he take a hit and be tough? Yeah, that's fine. Can he take the ball back and create the torque he needs with his upper body and his left arm to really throw the ball effectively and win a game that way? I think that's the thing we got to kind of watch out for uh, as the week goes on. But you're right. Anybody who gets to that level of football is
2: one of those rough and tumble guys, not in a negative way. It's just, they, they, they fall down, they smack their head on something. They just get up and they yes, keep going. Right. They just, you, they, they, you, they, they declare themselves at a very young age. I remember being at a high school football game many years ago. And there was this little kid that we knew it was the brother of one of our friends and he was running around and he, you know, he fell and he smacked his head against the bleachers and any other kid, would have rolled up in a ball and cried. He just got up and kept going, and we said he's going to be a hell of a football player, and he was. Yeah, right, <laughs> it's, right. You know, it's you can tell which guys are wired to just to just you know suffer some sort of of. Incident, accident, injury, whatever, and just keep going and not even think twice about it. Those are the guys who end up playing football at the highest possible levels.
1: A hundred percent. My family makes fun of me because, I mean, I mean, I've I bumped my head so many times growing up and hit my head, stitches. I mean, I've had a hundred, over a hundred stitches in my face. I know most people can't believe that. But, yeah, I mean, I was always that guy. I, I, and, you know, my family makes fun of me like they think I got a, like an extra layer of skull around my head. That formed because I used to bump and hit my head so much, and I'm certainly not as tough it. as some of these guys in the NFL. Now, it might have affected my brain power a little, but you know, as far as football, it was a good thing. <laughs> it would explain the giant cranium that you have. That's <laughs> yes, for damn sure. Exactly. And and
2: <laughs> and I didn't realize that a laissez-faire upbringing would lead to that kind of recklessness. I know, right? Yeah, it it did. It
1: you know. Well, hey, you know, Big Phil, Dirty Diana. Uh, they, they didn't come from laissez-faire, so I guess I got some of their DNA. <laughs> the other question, though, is
2: even if they can get him onto the field, can the offensive line protect him mm. enough to keep him from hurting the ribs worse or getting some other injury? That would be my concern for Tua. Yeah, we may be able to get him out there, but can he protect himself behind an offensive line that's having a hard time protecting him?
1: Yeah, that, that is a big question. They haven't been able to run the ball consistently this year so that's been an issue and I think teams between the last two teams they played the Bills and the Patriots have pretty good understanding of the protection plans too so not only are they missing blocks but I think they uh, those are two teams that found ways to kind of stress the blocking scheme as well and putting him in some tough spots there and you don't have a running game and you play some good defenses and you're not playing your best up front it's going to lead to some big hits and he's definitely taking his share we are well over one hour into today's show and we've only
2: done two segments that means we need to shut up and take a break there's another quarterback injury to discuss this one has a little more confusion involved in where things stand we'll break that down next here on pft live
1: You know, as far as the quarterback situation with Andy, he's still working through all his results right now and going through that. So we'll know more later on tonight with him. Uh, but I appreciate his toughness and I thought he was playing really well. If is healthy, is he your starter? If Andy is healthy, is he your starter? Uh, that's something that I'm not gonna get into with scheme. That's that scheme. Of course, of course it is. That that's that's hundred percent scheme, Brad. That's hundred percent scheme.
2: That was a little confusing. Then we got this tweet from Brad Biggs of the Chicago Sun-Times. Bears PR just came into the media room to deliver a message from Matt Nagy. Andy Dalton is the team's starting quarterback when he's healthy. And that's the right way to play it because what this does, to the extent that he does miss time, and it's still not clear, he has a bone bruise in his knee, doesn't have any serious structural damage. They have the Browns this weekend. You can go with Justin Fields, try him out, and if he plays well, Andy Dalton's not healthy. What about next week? Not healthy. What about next week? Not healthy. And then Fields hits a wall. Oh, Andy Dalton's healthy. And you can bench Justin Fields without benching Justin Fields. It's a great problem to have, although I always say the best problem is no problem. But this falls into your lap. It's a way that you could try out Fields. And then if it doesn't work, it's not an issue of him being removed from the game for merit. It's Andy Dalton is the starter when he's healthy. And oh, look at this. He's healthy again.
1: Yeah, I mean... I think you're right. In a lot of ways, it plays into their hand to maybe give Justin Fields a chance if they're willing to go that way and, and just pull the trigger on that. You know, Andy Dalton was doing well the other day. There's no, there's no doubt about it. But, I mean, a 9 for 11 for 56 yards. You know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and go, man, yep, he was going to tear them apart, you know, in that game. I mean, damn, it was what? It was 7-3 in the third quarter. Nobody was tearing anybody apart. And, you know, I hear a lot of people go, well, I mean, look at Justin Fields. See, he's not ready yet. Not ready. Well, okay. I mean, he's a young guy. He got thrown into the game in the middle of the game. He didn't get first team reps all week. They didn't get to formulate a game plan around him. You know, if you give him a full week and they get to formulate, like Matt Nagy's saying, a game plan scheme and the, the quarterback runs everything that goes with it, yes. I think it'll look different. They're not going to run this exact same offense. So he was in a tough spot, and I, I know. And honestly, like you, like I've been trying to tell everybody too, he's a phenomenal athlete. But there's questions about his throwing. I know it looked good in the preseason, but as you saw in this game, there's a, there's mechanical flaws, and now he's got to throw into tight windows in the regular season, and it's not going to be the same. But they'll they'll come up with some quarterback design runs, some formations that will threaten the defense of, hey, we can run it, quarterback run it. And they'll find ways to run play actions and bootlegs and the right things for him, too, that fit him. So, I mean, if I'm them and Andy Dalton isn't, like, exactly 100%, I am going with Justin Fields and starting this and seeing how it goes for a few weeks, like you said, and then maybe you reevaluate.
2: Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I know that goes against what it seems like the Bears are trying to do, but if Dalton really is injured and is less than 100%, that's why you have Justin Fields and it will be Justin Fields if Dalton can't play. Um and uh oh by the way, the Justin Fields debut as a starter would come back in Ohio. The Ohio State kid playing against the Browns in Cleveland. Some conflict for some of the very hardcore Ohio State fans who are also Browns fans welcoming Justin Fields back to town as the Browns try to get to two and one this weekend. Let's go ahead and take another break. Keep this thing on track. The Seahawks managed to stop Derrick Henry until they couldn't. Chris Sims watched the film and will break down for us next why the Seattle defense fell apart. More PFT live right after this. Treat Dad to the good stuff
0: at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts Dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Hahn, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off.
2: There are two things that are absolutely true. Grandma loves you, and she would never say no to McDonald's. So treat yourself to a Grandma McFlurry with your order today. It's what Grandma would want. Pa-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's
0: for a limited time.